Well, good morning. We're going to keep talking about uh, some matters here. Uh, that's you know about that. Uh, this matter about conversations with Jesus, and hey, we're going to be in John nine. I'd ask you to turn your Bibles, if you will, there in your table of contents. Go to the front there. That's where all the books are listed. That's uh, you paid for all those pages. Uh, John chapter nine. We're going to be looking at some of uh, these matters. And I said to you before in two thousand fourteen. Uh, I hope to be out of this by 2015, uh, this particular study. Uh, but uh, the Gospel of John does have this unique characteristic of interviews, of meeting with people, of discussing matters. Uh, some have kind of said it's kind of Jesus kind of turned loose with people, and we learn lots, I think, uh, from some of the conversations that he has with people. We kind of listen in and, and kind of eavesdrop, if you will. Uh, and so we're going to keep kind of keep looking at that, and we're going to look here at John uh, chapter 9. Now, I also sent an email this week to remind everybody about the new time change and stuff like that. And I said, if there are any questions you have, I would like to try to answer some of them and I'm going to try to weave some of them in and out of this. So uh, you may see your question uh, that you, you ask uh, in, in this uh, uh, study. So we'll, we'll keep looking at that. Uh, but anyway, I, I thought that one of the things as I studied this, and I've been, I've been looking at this chapter uh, ahead for several weeks. Uh, you know, I know where we're going. I'm thinking, okay. I need to kind of read ahead, and as I, as I looked at this uh, chapter, the idea of insights of the new year, uh, there really are a couple things in here that seem to me to really fit or be specific to the new year. I, I, I know preachers or teachers sometimes are accused of kind of manipulating stuff like that to make that happen. That, that would never happen, would it? No, that would never happen. Uh, but as I was reading this, I thought, you know, some of this really fits uh, some of the things that I think that as I'm approaching the new year, I'm thinking about and discussing in my own heart and mind. And so I thought about these insights for the new year. Anybody have any insights in 2014 that were, uh, you don't have to answer that. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not, anybody? You know, insights are, are interesting things. They're, they're really kind of revelations or moments when we suddenly understand something that we haven't before. And I uh, was uh, thinking about some insights uh, here. Uh, one guy wrote this, said, you might ha have an insight here that you're drinking too much coffee when you find yourself sneezing Folgers crystals. Uh, <laughs> just an insight there might be, you know. Uh, it might be that you have been drinking too much coffee. You have a little insight here when your dentist upgrades to a belt sander. And, uh, yeah. I thought this, you know, there's a little bit of an insight here when you're, if you're drinking too much coffee that when, when Alvin and the chipmunks begin to sound like Barry White, <laughs> you're in trouble, aren't you? If Barry White, uh, a little bit of an insight uh, into your life might be if you're drinking too much coffee, if auctioneers begin to make sense, you know? So, uh, you know, we have, have insight. I, I remember in life, you know, there have been different insights uh, that... I think uh, that God has given me as I've gone through life. I, I'll never forget when I finally realized one of the insights that introverts, which I know nothing about, I'm married to one, but I don't know anything about introversion, that when I discovered an insight that introverts make statements by asking questions. Wow, what an insight. It, it really revolutionized my relationships. I started actually doing what introverts wanted to do. Remember, introverts make statements by what? Asking questions. My introverted friends would say, would you like to go eat Mexican food? And in the extrovert world, that sounds like a question. And I said, no. <laughs> and then they say, we never do what we want to do. And I say, because you never tell me. And they go, yes, we do. And I'm thinking, no, we, we don't communicate the same way, do we? 
introverts, the, this huge insight I got one day was that introverts make, by, by the way, all you guys and people that don't know that, you know, here, this is for free, you can understand this, that introverts make statements by asking questions. That is the craziest thing I've ever heard of in my life. That's an extrovert talking, right? Yeah. But, but those are insights, the, these incredible insights that we begin to have in life. In John chapter 8 and 9, there are some insights here that I think that Jesus uh, shows us. You'll notice here in John chapter 8, I'm actually going to begin at verse 58 in chapter 8 when it says this, Truly Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And we discussed that the week before Christmas about what the I am here means. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went, uh, uh, went out of the temple. And as he, note, now remember, in the Bible, let me say, in the Bible, these chapter headings weren't put in there by the authors. You, you, you know that. I mean, maybe that's news to you. That's okay. You know, you come to church to learn. These chapter headings and verses weren't put in the Bible. Uh, all of this was in what we call unseal form or capital letters and uh, was written along. And chapter headings were put in by a group of people called the Masoretics in order for us to be able to find Bible verses and chapters. Uh, and one of the skills sometimes of learning to study the Bible is to understand that these chapter headings aren't divine. You know, they're, they're, real, they're, they're divided, not divine. <laughs> they're for dividing. They're for helping us to be able to find Scripture. In other words, for us to be able to locate it. So they're not, they're not inspired. Uh, they're not divinely put there. They're there for matters of location. And sometimes it's important to know that to keep reading, to keep reading. So I want to ask you to consider... This, and he went out of the temple, and as he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, and he would, uh, uh, that he would be born blind? And Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned or his parents, but it was that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day, for night is coming when no man can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, we picked that up all the way back in chapter 8. This has been a theme that Jesus keeps bringing up. And when he said this, he spat on the ground and made clay in a spittle and applied it to his eyes. And he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which actually translated means sent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. Unbelievable here. An amazing event. I want to stop there because we're going to, we're going to move forward. But, but I want to look at some insights here uh, that I want to ask you to consider, maybe for this new year or, as I said here, anytime. Uh, the first insight, it seems to me, in this passage might be is this. Accept the fact that Jesus cares for people in need. Accept the fact that, that Jesus cares for people in need. Now, what, what kind of uh, uh, caught my attention here, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> in this passage, <coughs> was the, here we go, the context here of Jesus in verse 59, having, <coughs> if you will, an attempt on his life. Notice what it says there. They picked up stones to throw at him. They picked up stones to kill Jesus because... <coughs> He had had the audacity to say, I am. I, I existed before I, using the, the, the divine name for God. And the context here of this situation 
seems to be pretty clearly an attempt on his life. Now, in verse 9-1, as he passed by. Now, some commentators will look at this and say, <clears throat> we don't know exactly uh, what the timing on this was. Was this immediately after this attempt on Jesus' life had occurred? Or is this just another chapter? That's why the translators or the Masoretes put a chapter heading here. It's another event. It would be difficult, if not impossible, to you know just fall on your sword here and say this happened immediately afterwards. However, and this is why I get paid to teach. <laughs> you know, if I can if I can complicate something here for you, <clears throat> it's possible. Uh, that this happened exactly contemporaneous with that. that. That this is actually happening at that moment. Let me give you some evidence here. It says, as he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. And in verse 8, you'll come down here if you later, uh, one of these days we get there, you'll notice that he's called a beggar. A beggar. Uh, it is pretty uh, customary in the temple area, outside that area, you know, not, not in the temple area, but outside the grounds, for beggars... Blind people and people who have no means of support to be there asking for alms while people are going to the temple. Uh, you'll see this in Jewish history. Uh, you'll read it in other passages, even where Jesus says, you know, don't, don't do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen of them. But this would be, you know, make a big deal before you go into church. You know, kind of make a big splash like, here I am, I'm going to church, and by the way, have this. Anybody, you know, notice uh, so the idea of a beggar, a man who has been born blind, a beggar, where would they be? Typically, again, I would suggest to you that one would understand that, uh, that they would be outside the temple. Boy, I just had a crazy thought. I looked at my watch. I've got 45 minutes. No, no, sorry. I, I know what time we're done. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I know what time we're done. Uh, so so <laughs> uh, beggars were often around the temple. Right outside of it. And it's interesting, it's fascinating to me that if, if this did occur contemporaneous with this threat on his life, Jesus walks out of there and sees a blind man. Now, it's, notice here, uh, he sees a blind man who is from birth. Now, Jesus is going to do something here, but I wrote my notes. I think had I just had a threat on my life, somebody had just picked up a bunch of rocks to kill me, stone me to death, and I saw a blind guy that I thought maybe needed to have his sight, I would probably say this. Hey, let's move on. One more day of blindness isn't going to kill this guy. Right? But if we stay here, we're going to get killed. That's what I would think. And, and yet, in this passage, it's pretty clear that even with a threat on Jesus' life, even in this kind of situation, he stops, if you will, we'll see there, he stops and deals with this guy. Does that, does that strike you as strange? I mean, how would we act? We'd keep moving, wouldn't we? I wrote this. I, you know, you, you can think about it if you want to. Uh, and, and I understand Jesus knows about his life and he knows he's going to the cross, but it occurred to me, just this thought. Is it possible that if we have a little insight here? Is that Jesus cares more about others than he does himself. I mean, that's pretty obvious. And he goes to the cross, he dies for us. He's willing to die for our sins and to take our... But, but just dial that back a little bit, you know, not just the cross and dying on the cross. But does this demonstrate here something that, 
about Jesus, an insight that, that he literally, here in this moment, the boldness, the courage that he has, is that he cares more about others than he cares about himself. He's willing to stop. He's willing to notice. He, he's willing, uh, if you will, uh, to take the risk of stopping to help this guy. I, I don't know about you, but there, there are lots of times when I, I say stupid stuff. I, don't say amen on that way. <laughs> I, I say stupid stuff, and I'll, I'll, I'll be praying. I'll say, no, Lord, if you're not too busy, <laughs> right? Or, or, or I at least think, if I don't say it, you know, if, if, you're, if, if, you, if you could help me with this. You know, I, that's sort of down deep in me somewhere, this kind of sense of, uh, well, you know, if you could find a way to do this, and if you could have enough time here, I, I think that down deep in me somewhere, there is a sense in which that I'm not that convinced that Jesus cares that much about me or other people. I, I don't know. Does, does that ever occur to you? Does, does that ever happen? Where you kind of approach Jesus like he's kind of too busy for this. He's a little too compelled to deal with the problems in the Middle East or in Russia or Crimea. Or, you know, he's trying to deal with some knucklehead somewhere else. And, uh, uh, and, and it's just too much. Does Jesus care more about you? Just think of this. Than he does about himself. He said, greater love hath no man to lay his life down. For his friends. Greater love has no man than to lay his life down for his friends. So, so I, I, I'm wondering. I'm, I'm looking at this inside. Here Jesus is an attempt on his life. He sees a blind man. Let's not move on. Let's stop. What if you understood this to understand that Jesus cares more about you than he cares about himself? Let, let, I just want you to let that wash in here. I mean, listen. The cross absolutely convinces me of that. Why would he die for you? Why would he die for me? Why wouldn't he just say, hey, you guys work this out on you, figure something out. But, but this idea that he cares more about you than he cares about himself. You ever thought about that? You ever really considered that, that that's the truth of the gospel? That that is the good news of the gospel that tells us that this kind of God cares more about us than He does Himself. I, I don't know about you, but the, I, as I said, I've been kind of thinking about this for some days. That's kind of been working on me. That, 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 that this one that I want to follow and, and live for is not somebody who's just a taskmaster, not, not someone who's just trying to get me to do things because he knows it's for my good. You know, my dad used to say, here, take this, it's for your good. And I said, well, it doesn't seem like it. You know, and I did it grudgingly. I did it kind of unwillingly. But as I got older, I realized that what my dad was saying was true. He really did have my best interest at heart. You see that there? He's willing to stop while a threat has been on his life to say, here's a guy, need some help. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to not be so concerned about me as I am at this moment about this person. Now, I know, again, I know Jesus knows what's going on and what's happening. But I think that sometimes we don't stop to think about the humanity of Jesus enough. We don't stop to think about the struggle He could have like we do to self-protect, 
to, to, to be willing to say, hey, let me take care of me first. Hey, let me, let me go on. Again, I, you know, it's not going to kill this guy to be blind one more day. What's, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? What if this year, John Eldridge, I, I was kind of reading the other day. What if this year, what if you did this this year? What if this year we repeated ourselves every day as we look in the mirror to get ready each day? Jesus cares for me. The reason I say that is because um, I'll just give you my own history and, and when I talk to people. There, there are a lot of conversations that we have with ourselves in the year that probably aren't that helpful. You know, there, there are just lots of things, conversations we have with ourselves. Now, you know, I already told you three or four people live up here, so that's quite a conversation at times going on. You know, well, really? Okay, I don't know. Well, stop, you know anyway, I'm not, I'm not talking about schizophrenia here that I, you know, have, that is all up in here with me. But, uh, but the idea of really saying this to yourself every day. John Eldridge has written a book, and uh, it's called The Crazy Outlaw. But, but, but the idea here of, of us beginning to speak the truth to ourselves daily. I mean, you already say this stuff to yourself, don't you? How could I be so stupid? You said that lately yourself? I spilled some water the other day. I said, you idiot. And I thought, where did that come from? You know, are, are you really an idiot because you spill water? And there's not nuclear fusion going on, fission going on here, you know. What, you know, do you, do you hear in your head, you're, you're, you're not quite that good. You're not that good. You know, do you hear in your head, are you allowing those conversations to happen? Uh, you know what? Something bad's going to happen. I, I heard a guy say this the other day, that, that faith and fear have the same characteristic. They both believe something about the future that hasn't yet happened. Think about that. Faith and fear, they have the same characteristic. They both believe something about the future that hasn't yet happened. Fear says, oh boy, I know that's going to happen. I know that's going to happen. Well, it hasn't, but you're thinking about the future, something in the future. Faith says, I believe that God will be present and help. That's in the future. They both have the same character. It just determined which, which one you want to live with. That's kind of been working on me. Faith and fear have the same characteristic. They believe something about the future that hasn't happened yet. So what are you doing? What are you saying? What are you listening to? Would you be willing? I'm, I'm, I, I did this yesterday. I, you know, the good thing about teaching is I get to apply what I'm learning first. Not that I'm that good at it, but I started saying, you know what? Jesus loves me. The first thought was, no, not really. <laughs> right? In my head. Uh, not so much. No, Jesus loves me. Jesus, Jesus cares about me. There is some research. I have time to go into all this because I'm, I'm too afraid to because I've only read a part about it. But there is some neuroscience that indicates that when people say things out loud, the physiology and the neuroscience of the brain begins to change. John Ortberg raises this issue in his new book called Soul Keeping. How that speaking out loud has something to change the neurology or the neuroscience of the brain. That's why the psalm says, speak to my soul, O God. You know, I say to my soul, why art thou afraid, O my soul? Hope thou in God. Says it out loud. Changes something in the happenings of the brain. What, what if the insight that you had this year, if I had this year, was to begin to say, Jesus cares for me, 
if you want to end it with this, more than he cares for himself. How would that change life? Jesus cares for me more than he cares for himself. That's the truth. That's the truth. Not only at the cross, not only in his death and resurrection, but it's also the truth about how he is with you and I each and every day. He cares more about you than he cares about himself. Think about that. This is crazy talk if it isn't the gospel. C.S. Lewis gets around this idea when he says, God is not proud when we strike our flag for Him after we've indicated we've tried everything else before that. In other words, God's not proud when we try everything else before God and then as our life is coming apart, we say, I need your help, and He helps. So what if you did that this year? Jesus cares more for you than He cares about Himself. I, I, I think that could change my life. I, I, I know it intellectually. I know it theoretically from the cross and understanding. But I understand this from the idea that this is Jesus demonstrating this as God. Yes. Soul keeping. i got to start selling books. <laughs> Soul keeping by John Ortberg. It is a great book. Okay, second, I want to I look at this. And I, I'm going to wade in some deeper water here. Resist the tendency to always approach life with an explanation. Look what happens here. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? That he would be born blind. Now, a couple things here. Obviously, uh, or there's some understanding here, I think, that this guy is, again, I think a beggar close to the temple that people know him. He's been around. You know, he, when, when we were in Israel, we went to the, to the uh, Welling Wall area. One of the things I noticed was there were people who were begging for alms, you know, for money or shekels or, or for money. And, and, and it must have been that these disciples had gone to the temple a, a, a sometimes. At, you know, we, we find this uh, it, throughout the, the record of the New Testament. And, and they asked the question, hey, hey, what happened here to this guy? It's interesting. I, I just say... Here, and, and I'm, I'm talking to me on this one uh, pretty much because I am a person who keeps asking why. Why? And, and that's okay. We're going to look at that here in a minute. But it's interesting to me that it, 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 it seems to me, I'm just going to tell you here, it seems to me that, that what happens here is that Jesus sees a man. That's what he says there. He saw a man, and the disciples see a problem to be solved. Think about that. Jesus sees a man. And the disciples' first question isn't, how can we help this guy? The question is, why did this happen? Now, I, I understand that. I, I, I understand the need to know. Uh, I, I, I would, you know, as a kid, I would ask why all the time. Why did this happen? And why did that happen? And why, why, why? And, my, and you know, uh, my dad got a little tired of it at times, and I won't tell you what he said. But uh, the disciples are asking the cause, the, the cause of this man's condition. Why, why, why is he born blind? Part of that is because there was a general notion in Judaism uh, among the rabbis that any sickness or illness or trouble was the consequence of some failure or sin in a person's life. That, that, that uh, train of thought has kind of made it all the way to 2015, hasn't it? Do you still meet people that 
think that to say, well, this happened because of that. Uh, Becky uh, told me the other day, uh, when uh, Christmas is, is happening, it's, it's fascinating. She says, we get some interesting phone calls. And I said, what do you mean? And I, you know, go into detail. Not from any of you. I already know all those phone calls. But uh, <laughs> they patch them right through. No. People from other parts, a person from New England called the church office. I, I guess I got on the website or something and saw us. And is talking to Becky and saying to this person from New England, no connection with our church, nobody in our church, that some things had happened in her life, and they said, and I know it's happened because I sinned so bad that God is punishing me. That, I mean, that comes in 2015 to a church in Oklahoma with somebody in the Northeast. This idea that, that bad things happen because of sin. Because, because of, now, this would take a century to unwind it. But, but, but let's, just ask, let's just consider this. If that idea is true, and I've heard people say it recently, you know, that, that if people sin uh, and they do wrong, then bad things happen to them. Listen, if that's the truth, there ought to be a bunch of CEOs dropping dead today. <laughs> right? A couple of CEOs, two or three attorneys, a minute. No. <laughs> you know. You know, they say, well, no, stop it. Okay. You know, the idea, listen, listen, that idea to say that, that all evil and all problems are the result of sin, it's, it's deep. In fact, here's what Rabbi Ami, I guess, A-M-M-I, he said, there is no death without sin and there is no suffering without iniquity. Deep. Understanding or thought. You know, the flip side of that is, then that anything that good happens in my life is because I've been so good. Anybody want to go there? <laughs> Anybody say, man, I'm so good. Look what happened. Yeah. That, that's the question. Now, isn't it interesting, at least in my, this insight here, and, and I wonder if, if some of us have tried to live our life by an explanation and that until we have the explanation... We're just not going any further. You know, I, I, I've, I've met people like this. I, I, I understand the need to know. Now, you know, I, I wrote this. It's not wrong to want to know. It's not wrong to, to need to have some answers. In fact, I, I, one, of the, one of my heroes in, uh, in life, I, uh, I never get a flu shot because they got to take that word shot out of it before I'm taking it. You know me, right? So... Uh, I stay away from people except for Dillard's on January the 1st. <laughs> Did anybody do that but me? Whoo! I walked in, I thought, I'm going to get malaria in here. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, that was wall-to-wall -wall people. I couldn't believe it. I thought, really, are those shoes worth that, Cliff? <laughs> you know? Anyway, uh, I, 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 one of my heroes is a guy not named Ignaz Swimmelweiss. He's on my door at my house, you know. He's a Swiss doctor in 1847 that pioneered the idea that the reason that patients were dying in Switzerland from doctors who had just left practicing on cadavers, 
you know, dead bodies to go then. They were working and studying. And then they would go work on real patients is that they didn't wash their hands. 1847. There was no understanding that germs could be spread simply by touching them and having your hands in. And he was actually excoriated by the medical uh, profession. They thought he was a nut. They made fun of him. They thought all kinds of crazy stuff about him. But he had an idea. thought, why is it that germs and bacteria that aren't in this person finally show up? Anyway, long story short, I'm glad that sometimes we ask why. I'm, I'm glad people ask why about things, aren't you? I think it's important, and thankfully, uh, that's why I have a, a, a hand cleaner in my briefcase, my car, my office, and by my bed. <laughs> that's right. I hadn't had the flu yet. <laughs> it's okay to ask why, but look at these guys. There doesn't seem to be a shred of interest in helping him. They want to know why. I, 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 I thought it this way. All, all of the insight here, they, they stand cold and curiously distant from this guy. Why, why, did it, why did this happen, Jesus? Did his parents sin or did he sin? What, what difference does it make here? What, what difference does it make for this guy? I would say again, it's not wrong to ask questions. I, I ask them all the time. I hope you do too. But here's an interesting thing. Do we try to live life just by an explanation? I've known people before that have a question about the Bible. They have a concern about the Bible. Or a doctrine they can't understand. And you know what happens? They stop right there. They just say, until I get this... Now, listen, uh, I, I got lots of questions. Uh, and, and I want to suggest to you that if you try to live life just by explanation... You're going to have lots of questions all your life and lots of grief. It, 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 life can't be just lived by explanation. Why this? You know, I, I know people argue about these kind of things. Instead of the disciples being interested in this man, they seem to be interested in some kind of theological novelty. You know, I told you to my own sorrow whenever I uh, was in college. wasn't sorrowful then. I am now. I, I, I remember... Uh, 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 going to Christian bookstores and going to the theology department of the bookstore and just hanging around to start an argument. <laughs> In Jesus' name. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. I, I used to do that when I was stupider. I didn't say I'm not stupid. I was just stupider. When, 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 when I thought that what everybody needed was an explanation, that's all then. Let me ask you something. Do you have a bunch of explanations about life you can't even live now? <laughs> Until he answers my question, I'm not going any further. You know what? You won't. You won't go any further. Until we finally say, look, I have questions. I'm sure I will the rest of my life. I'm sure there are things here that are going to be difficult to unwind. But I'm going to believe and declare things that I know. People come to me all the time and say, why did this happen? You know what my natural tendency is? To give an answer. Why? I'm paid to give an answer. Not here, but I mean, you know, over there at the school. I'm paid, I mean, I feel that pressure to say, well, i got to have an answer here. You, you know what I've learned to say at times? You know, I really know. I don't know. I'm not sure. I have some ideas, 
I have studied some of these things in somewhat of a depth, but I don't completely have an answer for you that's going to satisfy it. Why? We want to control. We want to control. If I've got the answer, if I've got it ready here for you, then I am in some fashion in control. I'm learning, maybe, maybe you are too, that often, at least in my life, I'm having to say to God, I trust you. I trust you. I know enough to trust you. I don't understand the Trinity completely. <gasps> oh, no. <laughs> right? Who does? <clears throat> I, I don't understand all of those details in every aspect. Sometimes we try to find people that will be our answer person. I, in a small group, I told you I, I was in a small group, and one of the most dangerous things for me as a, as a teacher and as a follower of Jesus for me is this. Is that I don't get that I get in places everywhere I go, people ask me questions and I give them an answer. So I've been part of a small group where I said, I'm not answering any questions in here. They said, who are you and what have you done with Cliff? <laughs> right? I'm not answering any questions. It's too dangerous for me. It's too dangerous for me to say, I've always got the answer. Well, just ask me any questions. Ask me any questions. You know, when I was a pastor, I used to do that. Becky said, are you really serious? I would, on Sundays, some Sunday, I'd just say, any question, ask me. That's when I was back arrogant and stupid. <laughs> and if I didn't have one, I'd make one up. Because <laughs> you can always say, in the Greek, you know. <laughs> right? I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of revealing to you one of our tricks of the trade. I can't say that about Hebrew because Charlotte Holder in here knows more Hebrew than I do. I can't ever pull that trigger. But this idea about what do you know? What do you know? Novelty. Sometimes we want to be coldly curious and stand back from the problems of life because we have an answer or we want to give the answer for it all the while a person is sitting in front of us that needs help. Isn't that amazing? We want an answer. I'll tell you one thing, as a pastor, when I was a pastor, I had situations in my life, deaths of children, things like that. Give me an answer and I say, you know what? Let's just wait. Let's declare what we know. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Two things that you know. Oh my goodness. I don't have that time, do I? I, I want to show you one other one here real quick and we'll pick this up. <clears throat> Recognize the opportunities in life. <clears throat> Here's this great statement that Jesus... Or, or, that it was neither this man who sinned nor his parents. New American Standard translates like that. But it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Um, <laughs> this, this is the core of the thing for me. The disciples are trying to ask, did they do something or his parents do something? Is Jesus saying, God did something? Hold on now, be careful. See, that's a trick. <laughs> did his parents do something? Did he do something? Or did God do something? Now, let me, let me hurry along here for four minutes. This is a difficult thing. Let, let, let me help you with two ideas in Scripture, and we may have to unpack this some more next week. There are statements in the Bible 
that are what we call prescriptive. You write that down, P-R-E-S-C-R-I-P-T-I-V-E. There will be a spelling test next week. Prescriptive. There are prescriptive statements in the Scripture. These are statements that say this is how it is or this is how you ought to work and live. They are prescribing. They are telling you what is true. There are other statements in the Bible that are descriptive. Let me give you an example. The Bible says that Solomon had 700 wives. So everybody go get more wives. Wrong. What kind of statement is that? Descriptive. It's describing something. It's not saying you should now go do this. You know, It's descriptive. Where prescriptive is the idea of this is something telling you what is to happen or how you're to live. I have a big question here. As to whether or not Jesus is describing something here that is happening, or is He prescribing something as the way life is? Does God make people blind in order to do something? Does God create blindness? This is a terrible place to stop. <laughs> but I'm going to have to. I, 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 because I, there's something going on here that I want to pick up on. And I, I just, I can't rush through it. The question here for me is, is this prescriptive or descriptive? What, what are the signals here to suggest this? Jesus makes this statement. It wasn't his mother, it wasn't his, it wasn't his parents, it wasn't he, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. What's that all about? Now this again, I, I, I'm going I'm I'm to try to work out what I've already said is this. This may be where you're not going to get an answer you're happy with. And you may get an answer for me you don't agree with. That's okay. That's all right. One of the issues we're going to deal with here is trying to wrestle with an understanding. What does it mean? What, is, what, what do we understand here about the Son of God, Jesus, the incarnate Christ, to tell us what's going on here? Does that mean that this goes on everywhere after that? That's the great question. This is going on here. Does that mean that goes on everywhere and forever? One more thing on this. The Scripture is, I think, fairly clear in, in this regard. We understand this matter that we don't any longer require women to wear something over their head to come to church. Was that prescriptive in the New Testament or descriptive? We've determined it's descriptive. In the New Testament, your dad decided who you married. Is that prescriptive? Or is that descriptive? The idea of how to treat a slave, is that prescriptive? Or is that descriptive? See, these are, these are the questions that are evolving in the Scripture. That people, if they don't, aren't careful, they're going to get the horns of an issue here. That everything in the Bible is prescriptive. Everything in the Bible is prescribed. I would say this, then we're going to have to reproduce the culture a first century Palestine. Every one of us will have to do that. Because that's what's there. The question, and we're getting into some deep water here, we will, about how to study the Bible. Is this descriptive? 
or prescriptive. What's going on here? This is an insight I want you to have in the new year. As you read the Bible, as you study the Bible, be careful that you don't assume that everything in the Bible is to say, now do it that way. Or is it describing how it was done? Does it make sense to you? This is where you'll get into all kinds of problems. And again, I, I say to people, so you're saying to me, what we have to do is reproduce the family life, the cultural life, everything of the first century. And someone said, well, it'd be better news now. I'm not arguing that. I'm not arguing that. I am asking the question. As you read the Bible in 2015, are you going to read it as if everything is prescriptive or as some things are descriptive? That's a terrible place to leave you, isn't it? I'm sorry to do that. I, I, I look at these lessons and think you're never going to get through this. And my wife tells me, let's pray real quick. Lord Jesus, uh, I ask that uh, any insight that's here from you, as we look in your word, that you might bring it to our lives, not only in here, but as we begin to live this new year. I thank you for Jesus and his life and his record of his life here as we read it. Help us to take you seriously, to follow you carefully, and to love you dearly each and every day. Guide us in the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. See you next week. We'll, we're staying in nine. <laughs>